You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. I've got my co-host Eurosimos in the house, as always. Um, this episode is going to blow your mind. We have Tom Montauk um, with us today. To me, he is the man to talk to on the subject of aliens, UFOs, ETs. I've been trying to get him on for a long time and now he's agreed and here he is. And uh, we just finished recording and we're still in the whirlwind ourselves about the conversation we just had and what we just heard. Um, right before we bring Tom on, this will be the final week to apply for our group coaching program, Rise Above the Herd. Um, if you're interested, you can head to riseabovetheherd.co and submit an application and learn more about what we're offering so you can reclaim your power, rise into potential, and walk a truly authentic path in life. Without further ado, here's Tom. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. This is episode 113. We have an incredible guest with us here today, um, Tom Montauk. Tom is a writer, a scientist, a musician, and a lifelong experiencer of the paranormal. He's the author of Montauk.net and has written three books, Fringe Knowledge for Beginners, Discerning Alien Disinformation, and Gnosis, Alchemy, Grail, Ark, and the Demiurge. After studying physics and electrical engineering for four years, he left college to pursue more independent research. His goal is to help others arm themselves with knowledge to better fulfill their evolutionary potential. Tom, welcome to Here for the Truth, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Good to be here. Absolute pleasure. One way like we really like to always kick these off, especially with new guests, I want to get into a little bit of your backstory, your hero's journey. So could you share a little bit about your upbringing and kind of the major rites of passage that you experienced that really, you know, were the catalysts for the main evolutionary moments in your life? Sure. Yeah. So uh, if you guys visit my website, um, you'll see that I have quite a bit of interests in the fringe material, uh, fringe science, alien research, uh, occultism, hermeticism, Gnosticism, comparative religion. Um, but where did it all come from? So I remember when I was born, I actually have memories from uh, when I was an infant. And one of the first memories I have is of being in the nursery in the hospital within a couple of days after I was born. And I remember crying because I was filled with this deep sense of sadness. It felt like a cross between between being orphaned in a foreign nation where you don't know anyone and also being like a soldier being dropped behind enemy lines where you know you have this huge difficult mission ahead of you. So it was this sense of overbearing weight and mission that I remember having uh, when I was only a couple of days old. Um, there were a couple other things that I remember from that time, which I later asked my mom about and she verified that, yeah, that's, that's exactly what you saw correctly. So I don't think these memories were made up and that's why I consider that particular memory to be genuine. Now, one thing I did have going on very early on is that my first word wasn't mom or dad. It was ghost. In German, it was the word Geist. And that's because I have memories of being in my crib at night in the dark with a little light shining above. And at some point, I would get this weird, creepy feeling. And then all of a sudden, a, 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 a white, wrinkly, gray looking face would peer over the side of the crib and look down at me. And it had black eyes, just like a classical gray alien. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a ghost. So I would scream Geist at the top of my lungs and my parents would run in. And by that point, you know, it was gone. 
But this happened quite a number of times and things only got worse from there because when I was around three, I would actually, when it started right around when I was two, uh, I would have these classic alien abduction scenarios that would happen pretty much on a, on a bi-monthly basis, you know, every couple of weeks or so. And the way it would always play out is that it would be daytime right around 2 or 3 p.m. I'd be in my mom's bedroom and uh, my mom was there and she told me, you know, she said, Thomas, uh, Tom, stay there. I need to go out into the rest of the apartment and handle some business. And so she would leave the apartment and, or she would leave the bedroom and close the door behind her. And then as soon as she did, all of a sudden my memories of all the previous time that this had happened would start flooding back. And I would start panicking because I knew what was coming next. And what came next is that the door would open and in would stream about five, six, possibly eight classic gray aliens. Uh, they were short. I would estimate right around the same height, maybe a little bit taller, so probably around four feet tall. Uh, they wore metallic cobalt blue bodysuits. Um, some of them wore boots. And before that would happen, I knew what was about to happen. So I would either run into the corner and crouch and hide, terrified, or I would take the bed, which was spring-loaded, and I would flip up the front end of it, dive in there into the uh, blanket and pillow compartment, and then kind of like sort of try, try to shut it behind me, but it couldn't shut all the way because I was in there. Uh, and I remember that happening quite a number of times. And I could see out through the crack of the bed, and I could see these beings sweeping back and forth, trying to figure out how to get me out of the bed. And a number of times I was in there for, it must have been at least five minutes, where they must have called someone else, possibly a superior, uh, and I remember hearing a voice, not my mom, not my dad, but to me, it felt like adults. So I thought that there could have been friends of my parents. And they kind of coaxed me out of there. I don't remember what they looked like, but they sounded human. So, you know, a lot of times in UFO abduction reports, there are reports of human-like beings being there as well. So it could have been them. And I've had other experiences, including um, one night, I remember watching television with my mom. And I felt like something was watching me from behind me in the, uh, the dining room area right behind the couch. And so I thought to myself, what could this be? And I kept looking behind me. I didn't see anything. Well, after about four or five times of this, my mom, she you know, decides to get up and go to the kitchen to get me a snack. So she's in the kitchen and I realized, oh, shoot, I'm alone by myself. And I felt it again. And I turned around and there it was. And it was a seven or eight foot tall shadow being with glowing eyes, you know, red, orange colored eyes. I remember it pretty clearly. And it was just staring down at me with utter, utter malice. Oh. And I was so scared. I dove beneath a blanket and, and, and shrieked like a banshee. And my mom comes running in and she tries to like console me. But I was so, I was so freaked out that I thought that she was a monster. So I started kicking her and then she, you know, she, she smacked me out of it. And I told her what happened. And I asked her, you know, just take me away, carry me into the living room, into the bedroom. And so, you know, I remember being over her shoulder, looking back at the couch as she was carrying me away and it wasn't there anymore. But I, I think I sensed something. And by all accounts, if you study occultism and paranormal activity, it was probably either a shadow person or what they would call uh, something like a demon. You know, it definitely was an alien. So that was my introduction to the world. You know, it was, it was dealing with a lot of these strange, crazy experiences. And uh, at the time, uh, my father, he was, a, an, he was an electrical engineer. So he was into science, and he and I would have a lot of discussions and playtime involving science things. So I got, I got a pretty big interest in science at the time, uh, including 
taking everything apart, trying to figure out how it worked. Um, you know, Legos, of course, and my dad's science sets. I had a little chemical, a chemistry set uh, in my bedroom that was littered all over my table. It looked like a meth lab. That's how crazy it was. <laughs> but, you know, you know, so I was into that stuff. I was trying to figure things out. So with this curious mind, I was confronted with this ineffable mystery of what is going on with these paranormal things that are happening. Because no one taught me about it. Uh, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was like being thrown into the, into the deep end of the pool. And so that kind of set the tone for me in the in sense of dealing with the things that a lot of people don't think about and trying to apply scientific curiosity and rigor in unraveling that mystery. So that, that was the, the early beginning of my childhood. And it wasn't until I was about 12 or 13 that I got a library card and I started really digging into this. So this, this was back in 92 and 93. All right. Um, so I read all the UFO books at my local library. And I read all the metaphysics books. Uh, I started getting to the physics and engineering as well. And you know those were my focuses for about four or five years. Uh, and right around 2015, I met, uh, I met a guy who ended up becoming my mentor. Through, through the mail, like a pen pal. And he yeah. started, sending me, started sending me all these books on conspiracy material, um, alien material, everything that really you couldn't find at my local library. So it was interesting how he just came into my life like that. Uh, he, he was actually, he was a retired um, nuclear engineer. So nice. he, he was pretty smart. And he himself was very well educated on conspiracy subjects, you know, the alternative. And he, he would write me these really long letters um, trying to teach me wisdom and, and how to be careful in the face of these, these types of challenges. So I learned a lot from him. And uh, after that, I went to college for physics and electrical engineering in order to try to understand how UFO technology worked. I was trying to figure out how to understand and how to build free energy and anti-gravity devices. So that's why I went to college. But after about four years, I started to realize that the further you go in college, the more the system tries to funnel you into increasingly specific and irrelevant fields. So it tries to specialize you out of, out of having a true impact on the world. I mean, especially nowadays, because if you go back in time to like Einstein and Maxwell and all those famous names in physics, uh, they weren't that specific back then. They're a little bit more general. And so they're able to do more. But nowadays, it's like they're trying to pigeonhole everyone into these little tiny boxes to make sure that they don't, they don't, they don't put the pieces together. It's, it's a form of compartmentalization, just like they do in secret government projects. They can compartmentalize everything. And then people, they're not, they don't have the cross-disciplinary knowledge to put all the puzzle pieces together. So that's why I got out and I decided to do the rest of my research independently, you know, in my own home lab, reading new, new textbooks, uh, my old textbooks, and just kind of teaching myself the rest of what I wanted to learn instead of learning all these, all these irrelevant things. Uh, yeah. And then uh, I created my website a couple of years before that. Uh, and I've networked with probably about 15,000 people at this point over the past 20 years. And most of them shared with me their personal paranormal experiences, their research, and all of it helped me. It provided more and more dots for me to connect. So over time, things just start to congeal. They start to form patterns and Using my scientific background, I was able to sort through the data and construct hypotheses that I could test. See, it's difficult to, to test things when it comes to paranormal and ET experiences because normally when you're a scientist, you want to have everything in your Petri dish to study, you know, under a microscope. But when it comes to alien phenomena, as I'll be talking about in this show, we are in their Petri dish. 
So they're the ones who are studying us versus vice versa. Um, and so that makes it hard to, to study it, but you still can. Um, it's, it's, it's tricky, and, and I'll explain why. Um, but it requires a lot of data that you have to sift through, a lot of lateral right brain thinking combined with intuition, combined with logic and rigor, of course. Um, but it takes both sides of that to be able to discern the, the, uh, the subtler patterns amidst all the noise. So that's pretty much how I got to where I am today. It's incredible, man. I'm, I'm curious, did you, sh- these experiences that you had when you were younger and continuing on throughout life, like, did you share these with your parents, your father, your mother? Like, uh, did you keep them private? What were the dialogues like when you were like a toddler speaking about these experiences? Yeah, good question. Because, right. And that was one of the ways I was able to confirm that these things happened. So uh, one of the things that I talked about quite a bit back then was the so-called Graue mention or Steine mention. And that's German for the gray men or the stone men. I was babbling on about them all the time back then. Uh, are you first generation? It, are you first generation like German American? Like were your parents? Yeah. So, all right. So, so my dad, he's native German and yeah. my mom, she's native Singaporean. So she's Asian. And, and she met my dad in Germany after a long, a long journey. And uh, so I was born in Germany. I was raised German. And so I'm a first, I'm a first generation American. You gotcha. could say, although I wasn't born yeah. here, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, um, so regarding what I was talking about back then, I talked about these gray men and stone men. And I also had a very, very deep phobia of owls and anything that was white or grayish and bulbous. I mean, I even had a fear of dandelions, like dandelions when they get to that stage where they're like this round ball of fluff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like this white fluffy round thing. And I was like, I couldn't figure out why I was scared of them. Because the thing is, when these abductions end, um, your memory gets suppressed. So you don't remember necessarily what happened, but I did remember the gray men and that's what I will we'll be talking about. But as you get older and older and your mind starts to, your mind, see when you're really young, your brain wave, your, your brain state is in the theta, theta alpha brainwave range. And mm-hmm. that's, that's where your mind is more plastic and it's not as uh, linear and compartmentalized. Um, but as you start aging, your brain gets increasingly crystallized and it's easier to split off parts of it to uh, segregate memories. So you start, that's why when you're an adult, you have a harder time remembering supposed alien abductions than you do when you're like two or three years old. And that's also why in certain like afterlife studies, kids who are, you know, one, two, three years old, a lot of times they'll talk about their, their past lives. You know, they'll say like, oh, I, I remember my other mommy and daddy, you know, from, from a previous life. But uh, point being that most of my memories were suppressed, um, but I did remember the gray and the stone men. And I remember the beginnings of the abductions and a couple flashes during them. Uh, but yeah, so I asked my mom, like, did I ever talk about the gray men or stone men? And she, she was like, oh, yeah, all the time. And my grandma confirmed, confirmed it too, because I'd be telling her about it. Um, yeah, so, so between that and my fear of bulbous things and owls. See, owls are one of those common things that ET abductees have been found to have fears of. And that's because owls, uh, especially snow owls, their eyes, they got these little black beady eyes surrounded by this, this white cone rim. And that resembles a lot of times the faces of certain gray aliens. So even nowadays, when I look at a picture of an owl, like a group of owls online with the, with the little black eyes and white faces, mm-hmm. it, it kind of freaks me out because it's still there. A little bit of PTSD in my subconscious. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been an interesting experience for sure. That's so wild, man. Like my mind is blown. That's like by far the most you know, interesting and unbelievable hero's journey intro we've ever heard on this <laughs> podcast. 
I got so many questions. Um, I'm actually stumped. So where I want to go from here, I guess, like there's so much information, there's so much conversation, there's so much material about this subject, what's real, what's not real. Um, uh, like how does one begin to discern, uh, you know, truth from falsehood when addressing this subject? And uh, we really want to try guide people as a um, who, are, who are beginners and who are looking at this for the first time with fresh eyes, how they can begin to grasp an understanding of really what is alien phenomena. Yeah, that's a good question. So to, to even get to the point where you can discern what is truth from falsehood in the field, uh, well, first of all, I think you you need to, well, see, some people, they don't, they don't have any uh, context or background or experience in this particular subject. So they might wonder, why are you guys talking about this? Like, how are aliens even real? Yeah. See, some, some people wonder, like, like, what what's the point of discussing good from bad aliens or truth from lies about this if 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 he, you can't even prove that aliens exist? And I, I understand their viewpoint because unless you've had these experiences yourself or you've seen UFOs or done like deep research into the field, there are some pretty obvious questions. Like, if they exist, then why why aren't they all around us right now? Or the classic question: Why haven't they landed on the White House lawn and introduced themselves to the president and shown up on TV, given interviews? All of that good stuff. Uh, you know, like, why is there no unequivocal video or photo proof of them? Now, there, there's plenty of proof, but it's just not, it's, it's not convincing enough to convince every single last person on the planet. And that's the issue, is that people want either 100% proof or they say it doesn't exist. Well, what if it's only 90%? What if it only convinces 90% of people? Well, then there's going to be 10% who don't believe it because it's just not good enough. And that's the difficulty with the subject because, as I said earlier, uh, unlike, the, see, unequivocal proof is like a bacteria in a petri dish that you can look at under a microscope. You can hand it off to another scientist and he can say, or she can say, yeah, I see it. I see it too. I mean, you can hand it off to anyone. It's replicable. You can share the proof and everyone can see it. Everyone can believe in it if they want to. But if you, if you are the one that's in the petri dish, now these other beings are the ones who control the conditions. So you can't do it 100% scientific way because it's not... It's not under our control. And that's the issue. So people wonder, you know, for, for, for the exact same reasons, like they wonder why does, for example, the SETI program, uh, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, where they take these giant uh, radio satellite dishes and they aim them into the sky to scan the universe for signs of electromagnetic signals from other civilizations. And so far, they've detected a few things, but it's, it hasn't been, once again, 100% unequivocal proof. And of course, with all these different objections, you can find rational explanations for why those things are. I mean, for example, um, regarding why SETI hasn't detected signals, I think it's because electromagnetism is a very inefficient form of communication. It's equivalent to uh, Native Americans using smoke signals, sending smoke signals up into the sky. So if you had a Native American scientist searching for life across the Atlantic, he sends up a smoke signal, gets nothing back from across the horizon. And he wonders, okay, well, obviously, we're the only ones on this planet. You know, it's, it's, it's equivalent to that. Uh, in all likelihood, if you had other civilizations, they would not be using EM signals. They would probably be using gravitational wave signals or scalar stuff, things that don't currently fit necessarily within our technological abilities. So we think we're more advanced than we are. And we, we try to judge the rest of the universe based on our anthropomorphic standards and then we get disappointed when we don't get that mirrored back, all right? 
Um, so, but, but yet, despite all these questions, y- you also have to reconcile that with the fact that, for example, over 40 million Americans either have seen UFOs or know someone who has seen UFOs. That's quite a lot of people. You have thousands of airline pilots, um, scientists, military eyewitnesses who have reported seeing things that they can't explain. And that has also led to the government creating various programs to investigate these unexplained sightings. And I'll get more into that in a bit. Um, What else do we have? Well, we also have the entire alien abduction research field where you have tons and tons of PhDs, doctor after doctor after doctor, writing books, researching it, investigating it, and giving it serious attention to the point where they risk their tenure, their, their profession, just to be able to speak about it. See, there's a lot of political correctness and taboo within the academic field. And so they're sticking their necks out when they dive into the subject. Uh, and some people, they, you know, they even suffer suspicious, mysterious deaths investigating it because there are political interests that you know, don't look highly on getting that deep into the alien subject. See, it's interesting that for most people, uh, the mainstream news uh, professionals, it's okay to talk about lights in the sky. You know, lights in the sky, that's, that's, that's safe. Uh, once you start talking about metallic disks or ships in the sky, now it starts getting a little bit weird because you can't just explain it away as stars or airplanes or you know, Venus or swamp gas or something. Uh, and then beyond that, once you start getting into people seeing the occupants of the crafts, like the craft has landed and people have eyewitnesses, and this has been reported many, many times in literature, they've seen beings come out of these things. Now it starts getting really weird. And then, of course, once you get into alien abductions, <laughs> now and now most people kind of, it goes, it goes beyond their threshold of credibility. So, so the, the, the issue is that the deeper, the closer you get to the alien subject, the harder it is to prove, um, both because it's more politically sensitive, like it can be more disruptive to national security, society, culture, religion, the economy especially. Um, and also because the occupants themselves, these supposedly alien beings, um, they are very careful about what they show to whom. Which is an interesting point. Because when people see lights in the sky flying around in ways that cannot be explained by conventional physics or, te- or technology, I, I highly doubt that these beings in these crafts have to have their lights on. They don't have to have their lights on. And yet they do. And yet they show themselves to certain people at certain times in certain ways. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I find that really interesting that there seems to be an acclimation program, like, a, like a, a gradual introduction to their presence. And it's been going on since uh, the early 1900s, at least. And over time, you would think that if, this, if there's nothing to this, if this is just a, a fad, then it would go away. But it hasn't gone away. It's just gotten steadily bigger and bigger and bigger to where now uh, it's actually been legally mandated by Congress, you know, the, the American government, to have official investigations into these unexplained things. Yeah. Um, mostly, mostly due to uh, military personnel having interactions with these unexplained phenomena. Um, some of them even getting injured or killed. That's not quite. That's not talked about quite a bit. But there are lawsuits on the books for military members um, who have been injured or their loved ones killed by these unexplained things. So it's it's getting more and more serious as the years go on, and therefore I see our, I see humanity kind of heading closer and closer to uh, a singularity point 
um, in terms of the alien phenomenon. And that's why I think it's so important to learn about, to study, to get a handle on, um, because as much as it might seem distant now and irrelevant now to our everyday lives, the closer we get to that point, the more it's going to seep into, it's going, the more it's going to affect our, our everyday lives. So I don't know how long we have, but I've written a book called Discerning Alien Disinformation, all about the subject. You know, it's only like 120 pages, 130 pages long. But it analyzes the literature out there to try to sort truth from falsehood. Mm-hmm. And also, and not just like falsehood in the sense of people making things up or uh, people mistaking one thing for another, but falsehood also in terms of how these supposed alien beings themselves are quite, they're not truthful. The things that they tell people in during contacts, abductions, uh, even government personnel that have had contacts with them, a lot of them are liars. And, yeah. and, and, and the nature of the lie is it's very concerning because it points to a bigger agenda that some of these factions have that's not good for us. Um, I don't want to say like all outright invasion, but um, more like more like colonization, like what the Spaniards did to the Central and South Americans. You know, it was, yeah. it was it was it was it was quite it was quite bad for the native civilization, and and if we we're not careful, we could go the same route. So I, I'm, I'm looking ahead, and I wrote a book on it just so that anyone can read that and get up to speed pretty quickly. Yeah. Why do you think um, they make their presence known to certain individuals, um, even in your, in your personal experience, yeah. for you and your mm-hmm. instance? Yeah. Yeah. Same exact question I was going to ask. Yeah. No, yeah. 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 No, that's the perfect question because that points to it points to their nature and their agenda. Ultimately, if if you can figure out like why they select some people and not others, right? Uh, and I think it has to do with a, with a lot of different factors. One of them. Well, one of them definitely has to do with how with how useful a person is to their agenda. So, for example, if you're someone who ends up being an author or someone who has credibility or weight, if you have that, then if they can contact you, give you a certain narrative, a certain viewpoint that you then go on to spout to the rest of the world, to the public, now you've become a mouthpiece for that particular storyline that they want you to have. And so they can they can vet people based on their their level of credibility, how well spoken they are, how influential they are, and if you get if you hit all the right factors, then you're going to get a certain particular agenda, a certain alien group that would want to work through them to manipulate mass public opinion about the alien presence. And usually, usually that's for bad. Okay, so I mean there there are books you can go on Amazon right now, you can look up books. Uh, telling you how to invite gray aliens into your life to better your life, to get more health, more wealth, more happiness, you know. But it's actually a deal with the devil because they can give you these things, but what do they want in return? They want you to basically viral market them, advertise for them, tell people that these particular alien beings are good when in truth they might not actually be good. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a deception scenario. And that's one of the big things that I do talk about in my book. Um, all the different ways in which they twist the truth, distort perception, play on ego. Um, yeah, all, all these, all these dangerous, dangerous methods that they use to twist our perception of them in order to make us more compliant and in order to manipulate culture to be in a more welcoming state should they ever make an appearance. 
Um, so that's that's one reason why they select someone. Another reason I think has to do with the person's own possible soul nature. And to understand that, I mean, you really would have to get into things like karma, destiny, past lives, incarnational missions and plans, which you know not everyone believes in, but that's that's fine. Um, but I would say that if you research the literature enough of afterlife studies, uh, near death experiences, and so on, you'll realize that that it is a thing. Okay, and so some people they just come here with a certain soul nature that has some prior connection to the alien phenomenon. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to go as far as saying that these people were, let's say, alien souls, and now they're in human bodies. I mean, some have proposed that, but one way or another, there's some sort of connection, and it makes them available, like spiritually, metaphysically, on a free will level, it makes them available to have those kinds of experiences. Because the truth is, you know, we're all here for different reasons on Earth. I mean, there are common reasons, like to learn to better ourselves, to 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 be become stronger on a spiritual level, and of course. But how that plays out on an individual level, it's customized to each of us and what journey we choose through this you know, grand cosmic experience. Um, and some of that sometimes might intersect with the alien stuff. And other times it does not at all. So some people have no intersection with it. So therefore, they never see it. They're not interested in it. And that's fine. And But other people are like knee deep in it. So me, yeah, I've definitely have obviously had a, had a big foot in that field. And that's why I'm talking about it now. Um, if they had, If they had never abducted me as a child, if I didn't have these paranormal experiences, I would probably just be into music and physics right now, to be honest. You know, I wouldn't be talking about any of these weird paranormal things. Why, why do you think they presented themselves to you? I know you spoke like generally to people, but how about in your uh, personal experience? Like, w- what do you feel and believe about it? Okay, yeah. So one of the memories that I have from these childhood ex- experiences, I remember that the general... F- feeling of what it was like to go through it. And to me, it felt like, well, I was about two, three, at the latest, I was four at the time, all those years. It felt like being on a very, very long field trip combined with a crunch summer school session. So being taught a ton of things, being told a lot of things, being trained on subjects. And I'm being general here because I don't know the specifics of what I was taught. But uh, it stands to reason though, that whatever they put into you when you're that young, um, I'm talking about mentally, it'll be in your subconscious and it can subconsciously guide your interests and your worldview as you get older. So it stands to reason, therefore, that I've been influenced to some extent by what happened, whatever happened during those abductions. And that's why I am so... That's why I'm so careful to use critical analysis and to use logic to analyze everything that I come up with. Like any idea that I have, any answer that I have to a question that I'm asking myself, I always critically think my way through it because there's always a chance that that thought, that idea isn't organic, that it isn't my own and that there might be therefore an ulterior motive behind it. So yeah, I mean, I filter everything through logic and reason. It's not like, it's not like I'm, a, I'm just a parrot you know, repeating what I was what I was programmed. Unfortunately, there are plenty of people out there, and I'm talking about certain alien abductees, certain alien contactees, who don't question it because you know maybe they don't have a, a scientific logical background. Maybe they don't care about that. Maybe they're more strictly into intuition and feeling. So they're like, oh, I feel I feel right about this. I feel that these entities are positive, and they don't have any logical reasons for it. They just feel it. 
And those feelings are very easy to to manipulate. I mean, even a even a stage hypnotist, you know, uh, talking to a crowd of of young people can call someone on stage, hypnotize them, and make them, you know, uh, <laughs> cluck like a chicken back in the audience just when they clap their hands on stage. Right? They can they can yeah. trigger that. And so it's very easy for alien beings during an abduction to hypnotically program you, and they have way more sophisticated methods of doing it. Um, to at a certain time. You feel really good about these aliens and you want to write a book about how great they are. So you put out a book telling other people how to invite them into their lives. Uh, and that happens. You know, that happens. But I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that trick. And uh, I use that suspicion to comb through all these books that these people had been putting out, which is alien disinformation. And I discovered all the patterns and I put it into my own book so that people can read it and you can realize, oh yeah, that's how they're, that's how they're doing it. So anytime you see it in the future, you can recognize the patterns and, and not fall for it. So, yeah. Do they do they influence what comes out through Hollywood about aliens in terms of the alien narrative that we get through the mainstream media and movies? I would say so, and I would say yes, only because only because it's well known that a lot of people you can be an abductee and not know it for a very long time. Like your memories from childhood, they don't always surface. You might not always remember it, and there are certain people who, for example, actually this is quite classic where it's not until, let's say, they're in their 40s or 50s that all of a sudden they get a memory breakthrough. Maybe something triggers it. Maybe they see something that resembles a shape that they saw during an abduction and it's like a thread on a sweater that gets pulled and the entire thing starts unraveling. And even without, without hyp- hypnosis, without any artificial means of retrieving memories, memories start flooding back. And you know they can confirm with family members, you know, like, yeah, I remember around this time this happened and the family member might say, Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's when you went missing for two days. And one day you just showed up in the front yard. And we don't, no one knows where you went. And you had no memory of where you went. That's happened. There are a number of cases where such a thing ha- has happened. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting, I think. So, so are you saying that like the, the people who create, let's say, Hollywood movies, they're creating it from their own experience as opposed to maybe some more nefarious agenda to plant information into society? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm saying is it's possible for a screenwriter or a producer to have been influenced um, without them necessarily knowing it. Um, and that sounds quite paranoid. And, and I, think, I think if they were influenced, then they would be someone who has a history of strange experiences already. So if you knew them personally and you knew mm-hmm. a certain movie that they put out, which you suspect might be alien disinfo or some sort of alien influence, uh, you, could, you, could, you could ask them, you know, what was your childhood like? What were, you know, do you have any paranormal experiences? And I, and I would say like nine times out of 10, they would probably say, yeah, I had some weird experiences growing up. Um, but then they went away. And then they think, okay, well, it never happened again. Little do they know, now they are a subconscious extension of an agenda beyond their reckoning, you know? And um, it's very easy. Like some, you know, I, I know some screenwriters who get their ideas from dreams, for example. Yeah. yeah. And, and dreams are, are pretty easily influenced because when you're asleep, it's just your subconscious wide open receiving everything, you know, receiving your own internal bodily sensations, receiving memory fragments from the day before that haven't been fully filed away. All these things come together to make dreams. Um, but for anyone who has any, even, even a weak level of psychic ability, when you're dreaming, you're picking up also on other people's thoughts. You're picking up on um, precognitive influences from the future coming back through time. And, you know, you, you can sense that right now. So those kinds of people might have, for example, visionary dreams, prophetic dreams about the future. And there's, you know, there's entire books written about that subject as well, you know, case after case proving that dreams can have 
objective, verifiable precognitive abilities, you know, to be able to predict the future. Um, but those very same people are also sensitive to psychic influences from any beings that might be in the vicinity, whether it's you know, paranormal beings, um, ETs, whatever, you know. So yeah, it's um, it doesn't matter. It could be creative people in Hollywood. It could be scientists, authors, politicians, military generals. If there's no safeguard against psychic influencing or abductions, then almost everything is game. And it's merely a matter of discovering whether certain people fit the classic patterns of having contact with paranormal side of existence. Yeah. Are, are there any movies that in Hollywood that uh, represent the reality of what's happening um, based on your research that are the yeah. closest to? Yeah, I would say, um, well, I see a lot of them because with Hollywood, it's metaphorical. Most of these movies are metaphors for what's actually going on. So it's not 100% literal, but it's like it gets in that direction. I would say one movie is uh, The Forgotten with Julianne Moore. Mm. Um, that, that's an interesting one. It's about, it, it shows how aliens have this ubiquitous, ominous presence over human life with the ability to manipulate human memories and just, uh, just, just manipulate society in, in a way that is very, um, yeah, it's just, just very, very strange. And some people would, would, would find it terrifying. So The Forgotten, that's one. Uh, a more symbolic, metaphorical movie would be Dark City. The one that came out, I think it, was, it came out in 1998, right around the same time as the first Matrix movie, which also is quite symbolic. But yeah, there, there's a spate of truthy, truthful movies like that. But so, so The Forgotten and Dark City. You watch those two and you can sort of get a decent idea of, of how these things operate and at what level they operate. It's not, it's not just a spaceman and a, and a little ship from some other planet coming here and saying, you know, take me to your leader. It's, it's, it's way beyond that. <laughs> Independence Day, bro. Independence Day. That's the truth. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so like, based on the conversation so far, what I'm gathering is that, you know, your take is that Aliens, for the most part, are malevolent or nefarious. Um, can you bring some clarity uh, clarity around that? Are they benevolent beings? Are they malevolent beings? What's the general take there? Yeah. Yeah, so especially nowadays in the ufology field, people have become increasingly skeptical about their motives. And that's okay. You know, it's, I think it's better to err on the side of caution than naivete, like naive trust. Because naive trust, you only get one chance. And if you blow it and it turns out they're bad, then it's over for humanity. Okay, so... Um, but in my experience, from all the data that I've seen, everything I've put together, I believe that it's a mix. I believe it's a mix of malevolent factions and more benevolent factions and some neutral ones in the middle who, you know, they, they're observers. They don't really carry the way. They kind of hang back. Uh, but the malevolent ones are the ones, obviously, who would not be respecting free will as much. Uh -huh. so, they, so they would be interventionists. They would be the ones doing the majority of the tinkering with the human mind, with human society. Therefore, it's the benevolent ones. Um, you know, like in Star Trek, you got this idea of the prime directive, the idea that you don't interfere with a developing civilization. And funny enough, Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, he was involved in this field. He was involved in the field of uf ufology, uh, channeling, researching, you know, metaphysical, paranormal things. And so a lot of the ideas that he got from that field, he incorporated into the show itself. So things like the Prime Directive, we think, oh, that's just Star, you know, that's just Star Trek, that's just sci-fi. But it might have actually originated with what's actually going on out there, that there are certain 
non-human factions out there that have a non-interventionist viewpoint, that they don't want to interfere with our development, at least not in a negative way. And so that's why they, in particular, are not landing on the White House lawn and introducing themselves and trying to trying to get the entire world focused on them because that would that would that would take everyone's personal mission and destiny away from that and like focus it solely in that direction. And it would just lead to another worshiping of, you know, a God type situation like we had in ancient times during Sumerian days where it was a, it was a big, you know, and the entire society was oriented towards pleasing and worshiping the gods. And that's, that's not how things work anymore. So I don't think they would want to, to replicate that by showing up. Now, the, the negative factions, on the other hand, they have various interests for what, for why they do what they do. And some of them include resource harvesting, you know, using Earth as a, as a, as a, a mining operation, a military strategy, like using Earth as a base of operations for further expansion of their, of their you could call it like an empire. Uh, and also using humans ourselves as a biological and energetic resource. So there's, there's many reasons why they would be here. And that's why if, just theoretically, if, we ever had aliens showing up, you know, showing themselves en masse to the to the to the population, pretty much guaranteed they're gonna be the not good ones because they're the ones intervening first, and therefore they are interventionists. Therefore, they can't be the ones that follow the so-called prime directive. Uh, and so I'd be I would be very suspicious about those particular ones. But yeah, I mean, in my opinion, there are a mix of intentions, just like amongst humans, right? There's yeah. a mix of intentions. And these beings, they're not, they're different from us, but they're not that different. They're not like incomprehensibly different. So, yeah. Do, cool. do you think that human beings, like how we are now, evolved that we're actually we're genetically modified with aliens like thousands and thousands of years ago? I think so. Um, there are various human evolution anomalies. Like uh, one that comes to my mind would be, oh, okay, right. Yeah, chromosomal fusion. That's a, that's an, Big one. So chromosomal fusion, what is that? So so we know that chimps, bonobos, gorillas, orangutans, they have 48 genetic chromosomes. They have 48. Humans, we only have 46. So the question for the longest time was, what happened to the other two? How, how do two chromosomes just go missing? And so when they dug into the, the genome, the human genome, they found that four of those original 48 they fused into two. So, two. so one fused with another, one fused with another. So now instead of four, we only had two chromosomes. And the, you know those added to the other one. So that's why we have 46 and they have 48. Because, you know, like I said, a couple of theirs fused together. And when they looked at the fusing site between the chromosomes, they found that it wasn't just like them stuck together, which you know possibly could happen with a mutation. But there are cer- certain sections of it that were deleted and other parts of the code that were swapped around. So deletions, swapping around, fusing, that doesn't happen by accident. There's no way that that can happen just through random genetic mutation. And if you do get a mutation, it pretty much never leads to something better. Like, you know, like right now, humans, you know, some humans are born with three chromosomes, you know, three X's or whatever. Um, Like Down syndrome, for example. It doesn't lead to a smarter, more capable human, right? It leads to something that's that's handicapped in some way. And yet, compared to our ancestors before this happened, we are like way smarter. We've got larger brain volume. We have the ability for speech, you know, art, intellect, science. All those things came about thanks to this chromosomal fusion that happened, you know, right around 500,000 to about a million years ago. That's when scientists believe that this fusion happened. And um, like I said, 
it leads to us being smarter. So there's no way that I can see or that a lot of scientists can see that this happened naturally. So therefore, it had to happen artificially. You know? Intentionally. And, uh, yeah, it happened, happened intentionally. And that was only the beginning of it because there are other anomalies. Like, for example, right around 70,000 years ago, like people don't really know this unless you study it. All humans nowadays, all 7, 8 billion humans on planet Earth, supposedly came from just 3,000 people who existed right around 70,000 years ago. So scientists try to explain this as, okay, well, there was a giant cataclysm back then. Maybe uh, the Toba volcano in Indonesia went off, you know, right around the time, plus or minus 20,000 years. And it, it, you know, changed the weather in such drastic ways that there was no food and people died. And the entire human race got decimated to where there were only 3,000 individuals left. And so when humanity popped back in population, they all came from those 3,000. That's one possibility. But if you look at it from the viewpoint of, let's say, alien genetic manipulation, it would have been so easy for them to take, well, you know, during a time of cataclysm, take only 3,000 people, maybe save them, or maybe breed 3,000 people through genetic programs, you know, like breeding a new race of humans, homo sapiens, who, um, you know, maybe they only made 3,000 of them, then they plopped them down, and then from those 3,000, the rest of us came. And maybe that would explain why uh, humans, after right around 70,000 years, has smaller brain capacity compared to the ones that came before, the, the Cro-Magnets, uh, the people who were smarter, they were more robust. Uh, they're better humans in all ways up until about 70,000 years ago. And then from that point forward, we were kind of like dumbed down. And so what, what some researchers believe is that there have been different extraterrestrial hands in human evolution. There could have been one group that originally formed humanoids as we know them. You know, they took the primitive ape species and they fused some chromosomes together and they created, you know, they created us, they created Neanderthals, they created Denisovans. Uh, and then that went on for 300, 400, 500,000 years. And then another group came in and said that, you know, those people were, those guys were a little too smart for what we need. We want to dumb them down. We want to maybe turn them into beasts of burden. You know, they're too smart. They're too dangerous. And so they, during maybe during a time of cataclysm, they saved some, they bred some new ones. And then here we are, here we are. We're not psychic by default. We're not as smart as the prior humans were. And if you look at society, we're quite obedient slaves, you know, to a bigger control system. And so whatever they did back then to tinker us and to kind of dumb us down, it has had quite the effect in making us a more compliant, uh, more, more useful species to, to their agenda. So... I do think that there have been genetic manipulations throughout history. And what I'm saying here is only a small fraction. I mean, if you really dig into the subject, you can find so many other issues. Like, for example, the human, humans compared to all other animals, we have way more genetic diseases than any other animal on Earth. You know, we have more things that are wrong with our genetic code. And I think that just comes from way too much editing, to be honest. Like, too much tinkering with our genetic code. Like, like no one's going to tinker the genetic code of a, of a hamster. You know, like, they don't care about hamsters. But humans, we are just on that threshold of usability for a bigger agenda, whether for slave labor or something more complicated, um, that we've been modified multiple times. And, uh, and I think that explains a lot about society nowadays. <laughs> mm. What are your thoughts on like the whole talk about like um, Nephilim, Anunnaki, fallen angels being in the alien realm? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, as you know, uh, if you study the subject, during ancient times, Pretty much all cultures on Earth had myths 
or religions based around the idea that their civilization was founded by superior beings who came from across the vast ocean, you know, maybe the literal ocean or maybe the ocean of space. Uh, other ones talk about beings coming from Sirius, the star Sirius, or just general sky gods coming down, seeding civilization with knowledge of mathematics, geometry, agriculture, metallurgy, uh, chemistry, and, um, and so in medicine. Uh, and, and so it doesn't matter which culture you go to, they all, pretty much all advanced cultures, they popped out of nowhere overnight for the most part. It's like you had, see, so prior to a certain point for most of these, I mean, I'm talking about the Egyptians, the Mayans, uh, the Chinese, uh, actually even, even the, the Indians. Um, these civilizations, originally it was just primitive natives in those areas. Just primitive natives, you know, doing basic hunting, gathering. A lot of them didn't even have agriculture. And then over a very short period of time, something came in and they developed all those fields that I just mentioned, you know, agriculture, science, mathematics, geometry, astronomy. It happened overnight. And a lot of them even built these megalithic temples, these megalithic structures, like the Great Pyramid. Uh, actually, if you go through all these different areas around the world, you can find these giant stone structures all over the place. And, you know, they're, they're manufactured with inhuman levels of precision and scale that cannot be done by human hands, let alone those primitive natives that were there originally. So it seems to me that there was a civilized, uh, civilizing influence that came in and uh, terraformed these, these civilizations, you know, converted them into, into a higher level of society that was pleasing or useful to whatever came in and did that. Um, now, now, regarding the, the Nephilim and fallen angels, so the fallen angels myth, uh, that comes, well, you can read about it, for example, in the book of Enoch. And the book of Enoch was one of those books that was left out of the official Bible, you know, because back around 350 AD, I believe it was, all the church elders, they got together and they had to decide what books are we going to put together um, officially into the, into the official Bible, right? And so some of them were left out because they're a little too controversial or maybe they contradicted the, the official dogma of the time. But one of them was the Book of Enoch. And in that one, it recounts how there were a couple hundred fallen angels. They call them the Watchers. Fallen angels who landed on a mountain in the Middle East called Mount Hernan, or Hermon. And you can go there nowadays. You can, you can go to the mountain. So it's, an, it's a real mountain. And according to the local legends there, yeah, once again, these sky beings came down, set up base, and then they started teaching the local natives what they knew. To, and then that's how they spread civilization forth from that point. But they were called fallen angels. They were called watchers. They were called beings from the sky. So that's one example. And like I said, you know, any, any other culture that you go to, the Egyptians... They have their own myths about these sky gods. Or you go to Africa, right? There's a certain tribe in Africa called the Dogons. And this tribe, interestingly enough, their entire belief system was based around the star Sirius, which is, you know, the brightest star in the sky. Except the interesting thing is that they were able to draw diagrams illustrating the star system of Sirius, including a third star or a second star. Well, an extra star that, that people at the time barely had any knowledge about. And the astronomers were then able to verify that this star actually did exist, this unknown star within the Sirius star system. And the Dogons knew about that star. They knew about its orbital period of, you know, of, of revolution. And um, 
people asked him like, where did you get this knowledge? And they said that there's these, these, these sky gods that came down who, who taught it to us. They called them these, these they called them the, the um, well, they, they called them like fish, fish beings because mm-hmm. there were some aquatic elements to them. I don't know if they're amphibians or if that was just symbolic of them coming from across the ocean of space. But the point being is that, you know, throughout history, it seems that different, different civilizations have been visited, um, tinkered with, and their cultures perhaps even entirely engineered by non-human forces. Yeah. Yeah. Now, regarding the Nephilim, I think, uh, I think that just as humans have been genetically tinkered with, um, they might have had other pet projects on the side where, hey, you know, let's, let's make some giant humans. Let's make other humans that are, uh, instead of being drawn from, um, from hominid, like ape-type genetics, what if we take it from lemur genetics instead? And so you get things like Bigfoot. You know, they, they did analysis on uh, different Bigfoot hair and like genetic samples. And some of those, interestingly enough, have traces back to lemur genetics, which is oh. pretty odd. But it turns out that before 10,000 years ago, um, before the last ice age, there were indeed like giant gorilla-sized lemurs in North America. And uh, so nowadays, North America and also like Central Asia, that's where you find them too. That's also where you find most of the supposed Bigfoot sightings. So I think, I think Bigfoot, Nephilim, um, ancient giants and so on, I think there are just other genetic products that were experimented with over time. Wild. Um, yeah, back in episode 13, we had Shane Bales on the podcast who claims to have come from an Illuminati bloodline. And he has memories of communicating with these ancient giant beings. Well, these giant beings that were, you know, hidden in some mountains or something he was talking about. Um, so just crazy to mm-hmm. kind of connect those dots. It's interesting anyway. Yeah, they do exist still. Uh, I mean, there was this one awesome, fascinating encounter. It's sort of a, a, an urban legend now on the internet, but... Yeah. The idea of, the, of the, the Kandahar giant, you can look up Kandahar giant on YouTube. It's a story of a military team in Afghanistan who was exploring a cave when they stumbled across uh, like a, what was it, like a, like a 12 foot tall giant humanoid with red hair uh, you know, and, and, and a giant spear and it actually killed one of them. And then later on, another military team came in and uh, captured it. Who knows? There's, there's a lot of secret things going on in, in the military that we can't verify, but occasionally stories leak out. And that one, I think, is just a little too wild. Like, what what military team would make that up? You know, it's just weird. Yeah, I remember looking into that, um, for sure. Hmm. So, you know when, for example, like, now in, like, New Age circles, like, people communicate to, like, um, ascended masters and, like, like, angels and stuff like that. Could there potentially be like alien imposters wanting this admiration and adoration coming in as, you know, oh, I'm this advanced being or advanced master. Um, give me give me your love and worship. Mm-hmm. Even channeling, like the whole channeling, channeling yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 I think it kind of harkens back to ancient times. Ancient times where these beings, they were worshipped as gods and they probably enjoyed it. They probably enjoyed it. Now, nowadays, of course, they can't get away with it because there are a number of reasons why they're not allowed to or maybe why they don't want to reveal themselves openly to the world yet. Okay, there, there could be reasons for that. Um, but back then, yeah, of course, they're walking the earth, they're flying around, they're having battles in the sky. And that's where a lot of these myths about the gods fighting each other comes from, you know, during, during ancient times. Uh, well, on a side point on that, there are certain people out there who want to say that all ETs are good that they're all benevolent, that if, if they're advanced enough to come here from other planets, 
then obviously they must have gotten their 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 stuff together to to not blow themselves up, you know, before developing this level of technology. So therefore, anyone who comes here has to be benevolent. Well, to that I would say, then how would you explain all the accounts throughout history, even as late as the mid mid uh, medieval times? How would you explain the accounts of the gods fighting each other, or UFOs and crafts fighting each other, shooting each other down, having battles in the sky, right? If they're all good, they shouldn't be doing that. Um, and yet you get that. So I'm pretty sure that there are mixed factions. Um, but anyway, so so regarding the idea of like ascended masters and these these, I think that's like the modern form of certain beings wanting to be worshipped uh, as gods, as gods. And there are different ways, there are different reasons why they might do that. So it's, it's kind of complicated because there are different classes of beings that engage in this level of deception. Uh, it's not just extraterrestrials. It's also, and this might sound kind of hokey because we haven't really gone into occultism, paranormal, afterlife type studies, but I'll just go ahead and lay it out. So in my experience, from all, everything that I've researched, there are also classes of beings that you could call them demons or astral parasites. They're basically malevolent, non-physical intelligences. And, and they're closer to what we would think of as a ghost than a, a flesh and blood physical being like an alien. Okay? Uh, and, and these astral parasites, they're interested, in, they're interested in a number of things. They're interested in harvesting our life force energy. So they're like psychic vampires in a way. And if they can latch onto a person uh, and convince the person that they are, let's say, an archangel or some ascended master, some uh, some religious deity, then when the, then the person is going to become way more submissive and open to always thinking about them, giving them their their energy, their love, their respect, whatever. It makes the person way more compliant, and so the entity has a much easier time inserting its uh, its own energy field into the energy field of the person. Because normally, normally our subtle energy field, uh, people would call it the aura, uh, it's got a protective barrier on it. And that barrier is controlled by our subconscious. So our subconscious puts up this barrier through, um, you know, through the soul, the soul's energy field, and it keeps things out. But if the subconscious realizes or thinks that it's okay to open up to something, which, you know, lovers do to each other. Like if you trust another person, your energy field's going to open up to them and vice versa. And that's how you get an exchange of energy. And that creates a bigger bond and union. Well, they exploit that principle by posing as a figure that the person loves and respects. And so as the energy field opens, the entity then is able to get in deeper and is able to take more control over the person and extract more energy. And typically over time, that person will grow weaker and weaker, like more sickly because their life force energy is being drained. And, and, um, and the entity a lot of times will also play games, like psychological games with the person by not only posing as a particular entity or, or a particular deity, but teaching the person uh, a false narrative about reality, about how things work, about who the person is in the bigger scheme of things. And so unfortunately, these people then become so-called experts in this BS story that the entity is feeding them. And then, and they, then they end up going on, you know, writing books and going on podcasts, giving their view of reality, which doesn't really correlate with any other research out there or with these other people who are also have been deceived and are putting out BS stories. So actually, funny enough, I knew several of these people once. And I decided to, well, let's see what would happen if you got them together in a chat room and got them to exchange notes on what they think is going on with reality and what is actually happening. 
Uh, and so, yeah, so I brought them together, you know, just so they can kind of cross pollinate. And they left distraught and confused about why their details don't match. Because each of them thought that they were the expert on reality and what was actually going on. Like what's going on with aliens, what's going on with human race in the future, and, and, and so on. And uh, yeah, once they compared notes with each other, they realized that either one of them was, had been totally deceived or both of them have. Now, in my opinion, both of them have. But you know, the, the point being that whether it's aliens or these, these non-physical astral parasites slash demons, a lot of them engage in this phenomenon of um, deceiving vulnerable humans and giving them a, an almost schizophrenic view of reality. So it's, it's almost like an artificial form of schizophrenia. And, and I, think, I think a lot of mental illnesses that we think are just genetic or biological, they might actually be occult in origin. They might actually be just entities warming their way into a person's psyche and feeding them hallucinations, visions, dreams, uh, speech, and just filling their heads up with a lot of nonsense. Now, as to why aliens would be doing it, um, just real quick, aliens would do it probably just to seed disinformation within the field. So if they can take a person and portray themselves as, I don't know, like, uh, like, like I'm the queen of the Palladian, you know, I'm like, like whatever, I'm, I'm Commander Ashtar of the <laughs> Ashtar Command. Th those kinds of things, it, it creates noise within the UFO field. So if you're a serious researcher and you want to gather data and you have these experiencers coming to you, well, if half of them are this particular template, then you're going to get polluted with all this false, corrupt data. And it's going to, it's going to crowd out the real, the real experiencers, the ones with the real experiences who know, who have real data on what's going on. And so I think it's just them sending up a smoke screen, you know, trying to disguise their own activities. That's, yeah. So it's like a psychological operation within alien community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's a pretty easy to do as well because uh, gray aliens in particular, they are, see, they're, they're kind of like, um, they're kind of like, 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 like task workers, like menial task workers. So there's a lot of them. They can be manufactured on command. They can be grown in chambers from, from what I heard. And, and they're very psychic. So they're bred to be extremely psychic. And that's why they're sent into to do the beginnings of abductions because they can encounter an abductee in their bed and they can paralyze them psychically and then they can, you know, get them either levitate them out of bed or take them out of bed and then bring them to the ship. Well, the same psychic ability also allows Greys to telepathically interface with, let's say, channelers or people who have a mild degree of psychic ability. And they don't consider themselves channelers, but uh, they hear voices. They hear, oh, yeah, I've got this spirit guide who calls himself, you know, whatever, who teaches me about the Galactic Federation of planets and, and why aliens are good and, you know, all, all this like false, false BS narrative stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty, that's pretty dangerous. And, um, I think needle, I think people need to watch for that. Yeah. Well, how do you like protect yourself? Like what, what activities, what habits do humans have that allow them to be infiltrated by these, these beings? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good question. And, to understand that, you sort of have to understand what are the capabilities of aliens. And that's something I really haven't gotten into too much yet, but it's really important to to discuss. So, sure. I've got a I've got a list here. I'm just going to go through it, sure. and and I'll explain. Like, like these are these are these are like the, the top capabilities or aspects of the alien presence that I think people should be should be aware of. So the first one is telepathy, and I did mention that they're, they're telepathic. So they can it's, see see telepathy isn't just being face to face with them and they're communicating to you without moving the lips without without opening their mouths it's not just that 
it's also you in your everyday life. Uh, like for example, like right now, if I were to write an article or I'm on social media making a post, telepathy can also be done from a distance to guide what a person says or what they don't say. You know, maybe maybe I'll start typing something. I mean, I'm not. This is just like a uh, hypothetical example. Mm. Maybe I'll start typing something, and all of a sudden I feel like ah, I don't want to do this anymore. And you, you just stop. You erase it. Well, it turns out if you had fully typed that, maybe it was something very important that some other person was going to read and was going to change their life in a big way, which affects the future in a certain way. It's a butterfly effect. So down the line, something big could have happened, which traces back to a certain person reading something that you wrote. But guess what? The little telepathic nudge made you click the X button, delete it. So that entire future doesn't happen. So these beings, because they're telepathic, they can influence that. Um, and it's, it's very easy to slip into paranoia territory here, right? Because then everyone starts thinking, well, what if this thought is created by aliens? What is that? Well, yeah, yeah, just, you know, calm down. It's not as bad as I'm saying. I'm just saying it can oh. happen when they want it to. When they really need it to, when they need to apply the pressure... They can, but it's not like everyone, every single person is being monitored and, and influenced. So I'm, I'm definitely not paranoid and crazy in that way, but I do have to admit to the reality of it in certain cases. All right. So telepathy is one. The other is, and this, as I go down this list, it's going to sound crazier and crazier, but this is actually from the data. This is from the literature. If you have these experiences, you'll know what I'm saying is true. The second one is cloaking or phasing. They call it phasing technology. So it's the ability for a being to stand right next to you and you don't even know it. Unless you're psychic. Unless you're psychic. Or, or you have a pet. Uh, usually pets are sensitive to these sorts of things. So you have a cat or a dog that's sensitive. They'll, they'll react to the presence of a non-human energy field near you. And uh, you know cats will get very, very antsy. Like really amped up. Or they'll get scared. Maybe they'll go hide. Dogs will whimper or bark. You know, they'll, they'll look around in the air at things that you can't see. But obviously they can see something. And if you've got multiple pets... Right, they can see it. So, I mean, you've you've probably had it too, haven't you? This is the trippiest thing. Like, we have a dog, and there's times where like she's barking and looking around. I'm like, what the fuck are you barking at? <laughs> and I can't hear anything. I can't. There's nothing that discernible that she would be barking at. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it's not always aliens. Like sometimes it could be, it could be. Well, we we, we would call them ghosts, but it's just dead people without their bodies. Right, it's just dead people hanging around for whatever reason, they haven't moved on yet. Or maybe it's just their energy field that has been cast off, but now it's just kind of kind of floating around. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, whether... And make whether sure my wife doesn't watch, listen to this episode, you know, next time, yeah. next time Rosie starts barking. <laughs> I'm just playing, dude, I'm playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it could be that. It could be, it could be entities or dead people. I mean, even like loved ones from the other side, from the other side of the veil. Sometimes they pop in to see what we're doing and make sure we're okay. And they'll pop in as this floating point of consciousness. Uh, and if you if you were to take a picture of it, a lot of times they'll show up as these little orbs of light in your in your photographs. But anyway, um, yeah. So pets can see them. Sometimes babies can see them. Like certain babies are, are quite psychic. I remember, I was not like I remember being a baby and I never saw auras around people. But I've encountered babies and I've heard of babies who can totally see energy fields. And like, if you've got this massive energy field above your head or something like that, and a baby will just like stare up above your head, like all members of mesmerized and what's going on. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so the point is that you can have entities that are not physically visible around you, and, but only if you're intuitive or psychic or you've got a pet or you know, a psychic baby around, will they be able to, to see it? Now, if you combine this cloaking ability with telepathy, that's a really bad situation because now you can have an entity standing right next to you, telepathically jacking into your subconscious 
and influencing what you're researching, what you're reading, what you're writing, what you're thinking, your opinions. Um, and that's fine if it's like a benevolent entity because maybe they'll just give you little nudges like, hey, go read this book or go to this website. You're not going to hear that voice. You're just going to feel this, 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 this cool like energy like, yeah, you know, be a good idea to like check, check that out. And you go check that out and it leads to something huge, like a huge discovery that's going to change your life. That's awesome. Like that's good when that happens. But if the entity has malevolent intentions, now it's really bad. You know, like maybe, maybe it'll lead you into a particular Facebook group. I'm not on Facebook as much, but it could lead you into a Facebook group where it's led by some guy who's an entity possessed cult, cult guru leader. And maybe, maybe it interests you enough that you join it. And before you know it, one day, all of a sudden you're in that cult, you're being abused, you know, you're, you're trapped in that spider's web, all because this entity kind of nudged you step by step by step into that trap. So it's this weird like multi-pronged thing where you've got different people that are possessed by entities and you got other ones that are influenced by entities to kind of come within their vicinity and kind of get wrapped up in that. Um, yeah, it's, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty macabre, but, yeah. but, but, but it does happen, you know. So it's also to, such a, it's a slippery slope too in regards to like, let's say an individual goes through this process and it's like, where do you take personal responsibility versus where do you go? Well, an entity did it. Mm -hmm. That's why I, I joined the cult and all this stuff happened yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, see, we all have personal responsibility. And the personal responsibility lies in being self-aware, to be aware of your own thoughts, your own impulses, and to make sure that anytime you do something important, that not only does it make sense, but it also feels right. It has to both make sense and feel right. And it has to be mm -hmm. backed up. It has to be backed up by a lucid awareness and context of what you're doing. And it's only when people... It's only when people allow themselves to have their egos stroked or their their particular subconscious shadow wounds. Like for example, if a let's say a person um, has abandonment issues from childhood, like their their parents weren't around and you know they, they wanted attention, and now this guru cult leader gives them attention, it's going to play on that. It's going to play on their desire for love and attention, and that's what's going to reel them in. Well, if if they had been more aware of that that particular vulnerability like if, if they knew themselves you know there's this gnostic command which is to know thyself to know thyself it means many things but it also includes knowing all of your weak points your wounds your 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 inner triggerable programs so the more you know yourself the more you know your weaknesses and therefore you're not going to be you're not going to have those buttons pushed as easily and manipulated see there's a lot of people who have good intentions but they're just too they're just, just too naive, global, soft, trusting, um, egotistical, wishful thinking based. And, and those are the ones, unfortunately, that these entities seek out. Uh, they can, they can, because they're telepathic, right? They're telepathic. They can sense, they can, you, you, I could can, can almost say that they can smell your vulnerabilities. It's like sharks smelling blood and water. They can smell it. And so they, they can seek out and find who is the most vulnerable candidate to their particular goal for, for manipulation. Um, and so I'm pretty sure that most people watching this right now, you're going to be fine. Um, but it's just that that smaller tail end of the bell curve that is the most gullible, the most trusting, the most naive. Those are the ones that these things kind of hone in on. Uh, and, for, and for everyone else, as long as you've got a straight head on your shoulders, as long as you kind of kind of question your impulses sometimes and not just blindly jump into something without thinking, uh, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You know what the other thing is as well? Like, 
there's that faction that you know um claims to you know feel special and calls in these entities and communicates with them and and whatnot and then there's other people who aren't as self-aware and grounded and self-responsible who look at that going on and saying oh why aren't why aren't i having these experiences mm-hmm. what's wrong with me why why aren't i special in that regard you know and then so they they intentionally seek out to try to call out these things as well and i think it kind of plays on that um that that egotistical side of you know, me needing to, to to feel special and, you know, the highest reality is for me to be able to contact these, you know, these these beings and stuff like that. That's just something that's come to me. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Because there, there's people, they they do these uh, these outings, right, where they try to call down lights from the sky. They try to shine flashlights up into the sky to to communicate with, with ETs. And actually, one time, I was sort of naive enough to to try something like that. This was a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so I went out into the night sky. And well, actually, there wasn't even earlier experiences, which I want to recount. So when I was, how old was I? I was about 13 or maybe 15. I'd been reading a lot of books about aliens and abductions and greys. And at the time, I thought, okay, well, they're, they're probably good. You know, maybe they're just like innocent scientists. And what we think is them being evil is just is no different from like a veterinarian trying to do something and the animal being scared. You know, the animal thinks the veterinarian is bad, but the veterinarian is actually trying to do good for, for the animal, right? So I thought that they're good. And uh, I remember lo- looking out to the window at the night sky and I asked them like, if you're out there, give me a sign. Mm. And I was expecting, I was expecting the stars to fly around or something, you know, give me like a sign like that. But that didn't happen. However, that night I went to bed and I had this weird, weird dream of being, I was like in a daze and I was on an airplane or something like that. And there was these people around me with gray faces and black eyes. And I remember a strong feeling of acceleration, like the airplane just taken off. And when I woke up later that morning, I looked in the mirror and there was this weird inch long scar on my forehead, which wasn't there the night before. Um, it's almost like some sort of like a, like a laser surgery scar right here. And then for months afterwards, I would have the precursors and the after effects of alien and alien type abductions. Now, the thing is, I had abductions as a childhood, uh, as a child in my childhood, but I didn't have them as much when I was a teen. And I think, I think something happened where either they weren't allowed to, or maybe my subconscious put up a shield or something that blocked them from doing it. But because I called out, because I asked for a sign, it opened a door. Some sort of a metaphysical free will based permission system wasn't, was activated. And they're allowed to do things that they would not have been otherwise. And so because of these abductions, I, I started getting extremely obsessed with the ideas of, of gray aliens. Like I had to have all these t-shirts with their faces on it. Um, I was always talking about it. And I can remember in, in, in a junior high, like my nickname was Alien Boy, just because I, I talked about these, these things so much, you know, and I was wearing yeah. the t-shirts all the time. Um, but I realized if I hadn't caught that, if I hadn't caught on to what was going on, perhaps right now I would be no different from certain other big names in the UFO field now who, who are trying to say that all aliens are good, who are trying to make humanity welcome them into our you know, collective, yeah. collective presence. Do you uh, mean like the Stephen Greer's and stuff? Or? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, also, it's also interesting that's, that Greer is one of the ones who's heading up these contact groups that goes out and shines flashlights at beings, having people try to invite them down. I mean, yep. they're doing, they're doing on a uh, group after group after group, they're doing exactly what I did when I was looking out the window asking for a sign, which invited them in. Uh, and so uh, 
on an, on an occult level, you know, there's this whole idea that like a uh, in mythology, like that a vampire cannot enter your home unless you invite them in. You know that yeah. idea. Well, that idea translates in a realistic way to the alien stuff as well, which is that they can't do certain things unless you invite them in. Um. So yeah, so these these groups that go out there and try to contact them and call them in, calm down from the sky. Bad idea. Uh, and actually, uh, so so later on, uh, I sort of got curious again. And I sort of did a similar thing where I kind of looked up and I tried to like project telepathically project my thoughts into the sky to communicate with them. And <laughs> that night, I had an interesting dream where I was approached by a, a human looking being who sternly warned me to never do that again. Wow. And, the, and, the, and their explanation, their explanation was that it's similar to being in a, in a war zone where, you know, you're in the middle of a war zone as a civilian and there's forces battling all around you and you just get on a radio and you say, Hey, I'm at whatever, whatever. Hey, you guys, you guys want to be friends? Hmm. What are you, what are you going to get in the middle of a war zone? You don't know what you're going to get. You could have the enemy totally taken over your position. So that, that was what was kind of relayed to me that you don't want to be doing that. You don't want to naively just invite these things in. So, so if, if there are like good beings, then hmm. they don't, they don't need that level of invitation to, to help you out. They're going to be there in the background intervening as little as possible, but also intervening when they need to in the most subtle ways, in the ways that really matter. And, and they are masters of the butterfly effect. So they can, they can say that the minimal thing necessary, they can do the minimal thing necessary to have a positive, a positive effect. And so just like, um, just like with Christians or anyone who's religious in terms of interacting with the divine and having faith, uh, you, don't, you don't need to be desperate about help from, from beyond you just have to be patient and you just have to have faith that it's going to be there to support you uh, when you, when you need it most, you know, you don't have to like try, try to like drag it to you. Yeah. I want to, I want to share a story, which I was hesitant to share because it's a bit of a personal wound for me in a sore spot. It's one of the points in my life where I feel like, you know, I actually fucked up, but I'll share, I'll share it anyway. So it was 2018. Um, and I was Definitely, you know, in a place of, I guess, um, spiritual bypassing at that point in time, wasn't really engaging in any real sincere shadow work. You know, I was on the, the apex of kind of a new age phase. And I was at this place in Byron Bay in New South Wales. Byron Bay is known as quite a spiritual area. I was at this place called Crystal Castle and there's a bookshop in Crystal Castle and I was leaving. And then something told me to go back inside the bookshop. So I went inside the bookshop and I was led to this book, um, can't remember exactly what it was called. It was kind of like, you know, the advanced guide to ascension or something like that, something of that nature. Anyway, I started, I started reading this book, went back home, started reading it. And I was talking about like everything that happens in the afterlife, um, you know, beyond the physical realm, all these different beings, entities, ascended masters. I was talking about, you mentioned Captain Ashtar before and the Ashtar command and stuff like that. Talking about contacting monads. Anyway, I thought... You know, it's something like I felt called to like try some of these exercises out, like before bedtime and, and, and things like that. So, you know, I tried to, you know, get into Ashtar's chamber and stuff like that. And there's this other ex exercise where like you can, it says like you're remote, like you call in different monads and different like, you know, it's like there's different aspects of you which make up yourself. Like there's different like soul brothers or whatever it might be. So like I did this exercise one night before bed and I felt like I gave permission properly. Anyway, so... This was in 2018 in December. It was Christmas Eve. My daughter was about two months old. My firstborn, we're all in bed together, me, my wife, and my daughter. My daughter was like so, she's two months old. She's so tightly wrapped in a muslin wrap. 
she can't move. She's under the blanket. There's no way she's going anywhere. There's no way she's moving anywhere. Anyway, my wife wakes up in the middle of the night and my daughter is moved. She's moved onto the floor, like next to, next to a crib that was inside our bedroom. Still perfectly wrapped, still perfectly intact. Wasn't crying. She was dead asleep. Wasn't like she could have fallen to any degree whatsoever. She was shifted. And like, I knew what I did the night before. And like, I was, I went there right then and there. I just fucking said every single revocation possible. It's like, I did not grant anyone permission to touch my daughter, to deal with my daughter. I revoke everything, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But just the timeline of those experiences was way too coincidental, you know, for, for, it was way too, you know, intentional for it to be like a coincidence that just so happened that that night she was moved um, when I decided to open up and, you know, engage in whatever I engaged in. Now, the thing is, like the exercise that I engaged in, I didn't feel like it was something outside of myself. You know, it was, talk, it was talking about different aspects of me. So I don't know, but that's always been like a personal thing of mine where I'm like, man, something happened that night that I can't explain. And yeah, it's trippy. But wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you know, a lot of times these, these permission giving systems, uh, yeah. it's, <clears throat> it's almost like legal language in the sense that... Um, Besides what you say, there's also a lot of subconscious fine print. So you might have done an exercise where you just called in different parts of, your, of yourself. Yeah. Um, but, but, but if that exercise came from a book that had been contaminated by some of these other forces, yeah. then it's, it's possible that you established a, a subconscious psychic link to those forces through the book. And you mm-hmm. kind of call that in despite, your, you know, despite the exercise on an overt level, you know, pointing in a, in a positive direction. So, yeah. yeah. It's curious. Very curious. Wow. Yeah. Tom, we have a little bit of time left, and I, I'm curious your thoughts on everything that's going on in the mainstream current events around UFOs and all that. Like, what your what your thoughts are around that? Yeah, I've been studying that recently as well because it's been. I mean, you can't really avoid it if you watch the news, all this latest UFO news. Uh, a lot of it had to do with that um, with that incident in 2004, where this Navy ship, the USS Nimitz, was off the coast of uh, uh, San Diego, and um, there were a couple of F-18 Hornets that had been in the air on a training mission and they were called off the mission to go investigate an unknown aerial object in the vicinity. And so one of the jets uh, took off and went to circle overhead to kind of look down and the other one started approaching this object. And what they saw was they saw this, this white object in the shape of like a... It was shaped like a Tic Tac, but it was the size of a bus. Okay, And it was just floating over the water, uh, moving um, like erratically in weird weird ways and it had no propulsion on it like no wings or propellers or jets or anything and uh so when this one jet went to get closer to it it started circling around with it and then it just accelerated and took off and the, the jet above it was able to the pilot above it was able to look down and see exactly what was going on and the weapon systems officer back on the ship was able to see it the crew was able to see it and so it became very well documented and then later that day there was another jet that was sent up that saw the object again and actually started to chase it and uh, captured it on both regular video and also infrared video. And those videos, three of those videos, were released by um, the Navy several years ago. And uh, the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, they confirmed that these videos are authentic and that to this day, the military doesn't know what those objects were. And so because of that, there, there, there came a lot of buzz about the topic of UFOs. Uh, to the point where congressional action was taken demanding that the Director of National Intelligence uh, publish every year a report, an official report, 
on the latest state of military FBI uh, government personnel sightings of these unknown objects. And so a, a report came out recently on that, and then there was another one from last year. And these reports definitely state, you know, that military personnel have witnessed things that cannot be explained by any conventional physics, like objects moving against the wind, accelerating at incredible levels of acceleration, like, like 100 Gs, 1000 Gs. There are scientific studies done on these objects based on both the video evidence and also the uh, eyewitness reports saying that these objects can travel up to speeds of Mach 60 in atmosphere. And that's 60 times the speed of sound. And that's so fast. Like even, even the fastest hypersonic missiles that the military has now, which are like the ultimate cutting edge, they only go up to Mach 25 at best. And uh, the SR-71 Blackbird, which, you know, flies really high and is supposed to be like super fast, that was only Mach 3.3. So these things doing Mach 60 is like, it's beyond any, any known human technology. Now, the thing is, um, people who go out to Nevada and they, you know, they go out to Area 51 and those secret government test sites just to, you know, observe from a distance. Sometimes they have seen crafts being flown, like test, test flown. And these crafts do the same maneuvers that some of these ET ships do, you know, like going at 90 degree turns really fast, uh, doing incredible acceleration. So some part of the, the military, probably in black projects, have similar capabilities as this supposed tic-tac UFO that was seen by the Navy pilots. So, you know, we, we, can't, we can't say that this tic-tac thing was necessarily extraterrestrial. Uh, it could have been some secret black ops drone, for example. Um, but at least it's opened up the... Uh, it's, it's increasingly opened up the, the public awareness to this phenomenon. And it's become increasingly official within military and uh, government channels. Now, another thing that we had recently was all those balloon incidences, right? I mean, that, that's been like the latest... Um, the latest hot topic on social media on the news. Uh, I think some of those were balloons for sure. And some of those... See, because the thing is, if something can travel at Mach 60, it's not going to be let itself be shot down by a missile you know, or, or bullets from a jet. So for these things to have been shot down recently, I'm pretty sure that they're human. You know, they're probably just, just drones bobbing in the wind or balloons or something like that. Because um, no one has reported about those that they had anomalous acceleration or was able to you know, dodge missiles in, in really weird ways. So those were probably just human objects, you know? But once again, the UFO subject keeps popping up in the news more and more. It's not going away. And that's why, as I said earlier, if you, if you look at the curve, the curve of attention on the UFO subject, it keeps going up and up and up. And that's why I think it's going to hit a singularity point at some point in our lifetimes where you're going to have a real breakthrough. I don't know if it's a government fully admitting that they've had contact with ETs or something like that, or whether you actually have these beings showing up in our skies. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to see. Yeah. Do you think any of this information gets put out in a certain way to distract the population from other things um, that may be happening? Well, yeah. Like, for example, the recent recent uh, balloon thing. That happened right around the time of the Hunter Biden laptop scandal and the different corruption dealings between Joe Biden and Ukraine. And that was really starting to get picked up in the news. And all of a sudden, we have this balloon sighting, sighting. And of course, you know, they revealed that these balloons had been happening for a very long time, even during the Trump years, these balloons, these anomalous balloon sightings were happening. But it never really made the news. They always kept it under the wraps. And then all of a sudden, conveniently, during these political scandals, they revealed it to the public. You know, people had videos of them and started talking about it. It became viral. And once again, that acted as a 
smoke screen for all these other politically in- inconvenient things. So whether so whether it's a war like in the movie Wag the Dog, mm-hmm. where they construct an artificial war to distract from a presidential scandal, whether it's war or it's UFOs, those two things, or like some mass shooting, for example, or you know, or I mean, for all I know, even the Ohio chemical train disaster could have been something like that. But anyway, um, yeah, they they have different options for for sending up smoke screens to 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 what's going on, but even so. There is a reality, of course, to the ET slash UFO phenomenon. And at some point, I think it's going to slip out of the grasp of these, these political motives. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go out of control and they won't be able to control it. And then, and then we'll be confronted with the alien reality on, on a massive scale. Dude, first of all, it's great to meet you. It's great to connect with you. Thank you for sharing your, uh, your, your story. Um, I'm sure you get this often, but the way you articulate and communicate this subject uh, and having that kind of integration between right and left side of the brain is extremely unique. And um, it's just so grateful that you shared time with us. Um, unless, Joel, you have anything else to to ask, um, I don't know if you wanted to talk about where people can find your work and support you and all that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just echo yeah. everything you asked said, man. Um, I think there's a lot more to explore on this subject, plus cross-related subjects. So if you're down, we'd love to get you back in the future. But for sure, man, let people know where they can find you and how they can support your work. Okay, yeah, thanks a lot, Joel and Eurasimos. It was really good being here. So uh, yeah, you can go to my website, montalk.net, M-O-N-T-A-L-K.net. I've got tons of articles there. I've got Several of my books are free. You can download them as free PDFs. Uh, I think it might be an EPUB format as well. So I, I try to put out as much free as I possibly can. But um, my other newest book, Gnosis, you can find that on Amazon. That's about like ancient alien technologies and how they figure into religion and mythology. Um, you can find that there. And uh, I'm also on YouTube, Twitter, Gab, Telegram. Uh, it's all on my website. You'll see it there. Yeah, we'll have everything in our show notes, man. And everyone listening, I mean, support Tom for sure. I mean, you, I mean, you've piqued my interest even more in these subjects. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Guys, thanks for listening. Tom, appreciate your time. We'll see you next time. Smoking mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share our confusions. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with